podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Welcome to the TWS Sports Podcast. It is the worst football I've ever seen. I'm coming back to England, man, and I'm keeping my titles. I just remember the atmosphere was incredible. I think that was one of the games that I couldn't wait to get out of. That that was a really important moment in winning the bid as well. Yeah, it just puts you on the spot. Like you just kind of done there with me. <laughs> At least you joined in. Hello and welcome to the TWS Sports Podcast, the only podcast in the UK which is hosted by autistic students who interview some of the biggest names in sport. This podcast has been set up by Technolwood School and our aim is to teach our students new skills through podcasting. Each week we chat to famous sportsmen and women from around the world. We delve deep into their sporting careers, their highs and lows and what makes them one of the best athletes in their sport. All of our students' hard work and dedication has paid off as we have recently won a Global Sports Podcast Award for the best equality and social sports podcast. That's enough from me. I'm going to hand you over to the stars of the show, which are our students who host the podcast, and I will let them introduce today's guest. Thank you. Technowood School is a school for autistic children and young adults, and we have set this podcast up to provide our pupils with a fantastic opportunity to develop a range of skills whilst interviewing top sportsmen and women from a variety of different sports. Joining us today on the TWS Sports Podcast is a former footballer and manager and is also king of the jungle. Welcome to the podcast. Hey, Redknapp. Hey, you guys. How are you? Hi. Good, thanks. Yeah, Pleasure good. to have you. We'd like to start our podcast with some random questions before we start talking about your career. Are you ready? Yes, I'm fine, yeah. Okay. Who is the most famous person in your phone book? Oh, my God. <laughs> oh, I think Sandra, <laughs> my wife. Yeah. I, I really, I don't, I don't have, um, I don't really, you know, I haven't got a, a list of sort of very celebrities or anything like that, really. Um, um, yeah, I'm pretty low key, really, away from when I'm doing stuff. Uh, so yeah, no, I'm not. I'm not one for ringing up um, or keeping in contact with celebrities or anybody that much, you know. All right, okay. If you could trade lives with anyone for a day, who would it be and why? Oh my God, Dad! Oh dear, any anybody for a day. Probably Boris Johnson, I think. See what was country Why out of it. Hey? Why him? Well, I'll be Prime Minister. You'd probably and do I'll a better be job. <laughs> the worst um, of things he's done wrong. If you could go back to one day in your life, what would it be and why? What would it be? Oh, well, I mean, I don't mean to give you corny answers, but it'd probably be the Probably be the best day of my life was the day when I met my wife. That would be my best Aww. day. That would be my best day. I couldn't beat that one, really. Um, thank you for answering those questions. Let's chat about your career. Okay. We want to take you back to the beginning and talk about your childhood. What are your memories of growing up and did you always want to be a footballer? Yes, I always wanted to be a footballer. I grew up in East London. My dad worked in the docks. Um, and so um, to work in the docks, you had to have your name down uh, and pay subs every week. It was families only. You had to have a family member to to get a job in the docks in the East, in London back in them days. 
So every week my dad had to go and pay whatever it was about a penny or tuppence into a, um, to, you know, subs to keep you. So when you left school, you could get a job it was a, in the docks unloading ships. But at 11 years of age, I got asked to go and train at Tottenham. Uh, got scouted by Tottenham scouts. So I used to go train at Tottenham Tuesday and Thursday nights uh, for a couple of years. And then when I left school, I had the choice of all, all the London clubs, really. I could have gone to Arsenal, Chelsea, West And I chose to go to West Ham. I just thought it was a club that produced its own players. It was a, all the kids, everybody came through the youth team. They didn't buy any players. Bobby Moore, Jeff Hurst, Martin Peters, who played in the World Cup winning team in 66, all came through the youth policy at West Ham. And that was the type of club it was. So I decided that was a club I wanted to join. Okay. Um, you made your senior debut for West Ham in 1965. You played again alongside Jeff Hurst and Sir Bobby Moore. What was it like to play with them? It was great. I mean, it was 1965, but Bob, it, um, it, 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 it's just, I don't want to correct you, but it was Sir Jeff Hurst and Bobby never got a knighthood. Bobby Moore should have been a sir, but he never got a knighthood. And it was, for me, it was always a, it, it's unbelievable that he didn't get a knighthood. He kept in England to win that World Cup. Uh, he was just a fantastic man, great sportsman, great footballer. And he never got a knighthood. Jeff Jeff has got a knighthood and thoroughly deserved that. But he said Jeff first. But unfortunately, Bobby never did. But it was great playing with them them guys. You know, they were just ordinary, we were just all ordinary boys. All came from the same working class backgrounds. Um, we had a great time and we had a great team, great players. So yeah, it was a fantastic time growing up at West Ham in them days. In nineteen. 83, you became the manager of, of Bournemouth. How did you find the move into being a manager and did you enjoy it? Yeah, it was very different. I got interested in coaching when I was very young. Uh, West Ham, the manager, got us all to do our coaching badges, coaching certificates at an early age. So we used to have to, he wanted us all to get a better understanding of football by doing our coaching badges. He felt that was... So I got my coaching badges early and then my first opportunity in, in management came at Bournemouth and it was a club I played for as well. I left When I left West Ham, I signed for Bournemouth. Um, so to get the job at Bournemouth, we lived here. It was a great opportunity for me. It was that we were only in the, when I first went there, we were in the fourth division, uh, division two as it is now. Then we got into division one uh, and then eventually I, I took them into the championship and that was the first time in a hundred years of their history they'd never ever been promoted before into the championship, Bournemouth. So it was, it was, a, you know, for me it was a fantastic time to to actually get the club into the championship for the first time. Since then, obviously now Eddie, Eddie Howe took them into the Premier, which was amazing, uh, and they've gone back up again this year into the Premier with Scott Parker. So we've got Premier League football back at Bournemouth again next year. Which is incredible. The, the stadium only holds eleven thousand people. It's only a small club, really, um, and they've been in Division Three or Four from almost all their history. So to be in the Premier League now is just amazing. Um, in 1994, you became manager of West Ham for seven years. What was your time at West Ham like? It was fantastic. I mean, we produced so many great young kids. 
all came through the youth team. I got back to try to produce the kids that we used to under when I went there as a player. And suddenly we got Rio Ferdinand, Frank Lampard, uh, Jermaine Defoe, um, Joe Cole, Michael Carrick, Glenn Johnson, all went on to play for England many, many times, all won Champions League with different clubs, all became great players. And they all came through that youth team, uh, the youth policy at West Ham. And I, I, I was very involved in that. You know, that was my big, my big goal was to get West Ham back producing kids again that could go on to be first team players. So it was, uh, it was a great time for me. There's some fantastic players. We played some great football. I had people like Paolo Di Canio was a great player, as well as them kids that I've just mentioned. So it was a great time to uh, to be at the club. It was fantastic. You you have a great story about Paolo Futra at West Ham for the first game of the season of Highbury. Could you tell us about the story, please? Yeah, no, it was what it was. I signed a player called Paolo Futra. He was one of the world's best players. He was a a Portuguese international, and uh, he um, he came to West Ham in the first game of the season, Arsenal away, 45,000 people, new season, everybody excited, and we got in the dressing rooms, and he was he came only about four days before the season started. He was just, he was signed very late, and so they all had their shirt with squad numbers, and he was number 16. And he'd always been a number 10. And I didn't realise, you know, we had squad numbers and we already had someone with number 10 when he arrived, but I didn't, didn't think anything about it. And he refused to wear number 16 because he was, he'd, he'd always wore 10 and Maradona, uh, Pele, um, Platini, they were all number 10s. And he, he was a number, very famous number 10 and he, he refused to wear number 16. So... It was for any, yeah, he, he wouldn't play. And so he, it was a very difficult start to the season. And we couldn't do nothing about it because the squad numbers had to be sent in to the FA at the start of the year to the Premier League. And so there was no way of changing it for that, you know. But yeah, we had a big argument in the dressing room and he stormed off and went back to Portugal. So it was a bit of a disaster, really. Oh, no. Yeah. Um, you had some amazing players at West Ham, such as Neil Ruddock, Paolo Di Canio, Frank Lampard and more. What was it like to work with these players? Oh, it was great. It was great. We had, we had that group of young players, as I said, there's six of them, that all came through the youth team, all went on to play for England and became great players. Then you had the senior players like Paolo and Razor Ruddock and people like that. So we had a great blend, really. It was... a uh, and, and I loved the club. It was a great time for me. I went back there and, you know, it was uh, we finished fifth in the league one year. Uh, that was their highest position I think they've ever finished in the Premier League. So it was, um, yeah, it was, it was a great time. And, you know, it was, uh, it was a club, obviously, that I grew up at. So to go back and manage them and produce teams, I felt, that played very good football, were exciting to watch. It, it, was, it was fantastic for me. Can you tell us the story about Razor playing golf at Glen Eagles? Yeah, Razor was Razor was uh, he was supposed to he was injured last game of the season, 
and uh, he's supposed to come in for treatment every day until they were fit. The physio was going to sign them off as being fit. And he came in a couple, then he didn't come in on the Friday, Saturday, Sunday, and he said he had the flu. Um, but the following week in the newspaper, there was pictures of Razor Ruddock having a punch-up at Glen Eagles with Mike Newell, who played, who was a centre-forward player for Everton and uh, Blackburn and was a good player, Mike Newell. Their wives had had a bit of an argument and Razor and Mike Newell ended up having a punch-up at Glen Eagles and it was all in the newspaper, so I caught him. You know, he was, uh, it came, you know, it all... It was, it was there on, in the Sunday paper. So I find him two weeks' wages and he appealed the wage. The two weeks' wages was £20,000, but he appealed the fine um, and he won it. And he, he was very smug about it, you know, when he won the, when he won the, uh, the appeal. But what he didn't realise, he bought this, this barrister in from South Africa who was very clever and he won the case for him. But his legal bills were £35,000. And the FA don't pay legal fees, so Razor had to pay his own legal fees. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's what he gets, isn't it? Fine, he had a £35,000 legal bill. So it wasn't a very clever move of him on his part. Sounds like he got caught red-handed. He did, yeah. It wasn't clever. He ended up costing him £15,000 more than it would have if he'd have just paid the fine. Um, I want to take you back to the 12th of February 2000. You beat Bradford 5-4 and Di Canio was so angry that game that he demanded you substituted him. Can you tell us about that, please? Yeah, well, he had three penalties and they were all penalties. Well, I've seen the, film, the videos of them. They should have all been penalties, but the referee, for some reason, obviously didn't like Di Canio and he felt he was diving, but he wasn't. They were genuine penalties. And he didn't give them, so Parlo was upset, so he came over and sat in front of me. And he said, I don't play no more. This referee, I don't play. I'm coming off, boss. I don't play. And we were losing at the time, 3-1 at home to Bradford, who were bottom of the league. And in the end, he finally, the crowd started singing his name, and he was sick, and he got up and played on. And then he scored a goal, and he got the penalty. Uh, finally, we got a penalty, and he scored the penalty, him and Frank Lampard, were arguing over who should take the penalty. Frank was the penalty taker, but Paolo had the ball and he's pulling it off of Frank and they were, in the end, Frank let him take it because he knew he couldn't win. And Paolo came up and just chipped it in and took a fantastic penalty and we won the game 4-3. You have a great story about a jockey called Lee Topless. Could you tell us who he is? (laughs) Oh, well, I thought he was a jockey, Lee Topless. I met him one day and he told me he was a jockey and uh, I started getting him tickets to come to football. He wanted to come to the football and I started, you know, he asked me if I could lend him some money to, because his, his riding fees hadn't come through and he was at every state cut. He started coming to all the games at West Ham and, and then, eventually, you know, and he kept giving me losers that weren't the horses he was giving me weren't any good. And then suddenly I got a phone call from a friend of mine to tell me that, this lead, so-called lead topless, this was after four years, wasn't actually lead topless, the jockey. There is a lead topless, the jockey. This guy worked in a pub in Newmarket, collecting the glasses, and he'd, he'd never sat on a horse in his life. He made out he was the jockey. but um, And I was giving him some money to pay for his riding fees, and it, 
So, oh, he had me for four years. Um, but no, he'd never sat on a horse in his life. He was just a, a little Irish guy who collected glasses in a pub. Um, I, I just wanted to quickly add, um, I enjoyed that ad that you did recently for HR. I forgot what company it was, but I've seen Oh, yeah, yeah, you, yeah the human resource, yeah. Yeah, I, I enjoyed that. Good. Yeah, yeah, it was good fun. Um, you then managed Portsmouth and Southampton between 2002 and 2008. What are your memories of managing at those two clubs? Well, I went to Portsmouth. That was my uh, when I left West Ham. I had a fantastic time at Portsmouth. I got we got promoted my first year. We won the championship, uh, and, and we just had a, a, a great group of lads. You know, we won the league the first season, as I say, got into the Premier. And then I had a couple of great years there, and then I had a bit of a fallout with the chairman, and I left. And then I got offered the Southampton job about a week later, and I went to Southampton, which wasn't a good move, really, because the two clubs hate each other. The fans, the, the, it is quite a fierce rivalry. It's not very nice at all. So leaving Portsmouth against Southampton, where I'd been really, the fact the Pompey fans loved me when I was there, but I'd had a fallout with the chairman and left. They, and they were still great. And suddenly when I went to Southampton, they hated Southampton and that was it. Then I was in, you know, I was getting all kinds of abuse. But so it was very difficult. By the year or so there, and then I got, they asked Portsmouth and then bottom of the league, going to get relegated. And the chairman rang me and asked me if I would go back there. And I said I would. So I went back to Portsmouth and we, we kept up and we went on and won the FA Cup and I had a great time there. I loved my time at Portsmouth. It was special. Here at the Amethyst Academies Trust, we are incredibly ambitious for our schools and our pupils, and we believe that there is no ceiling on what can be achieved by anyone. Working in partnership with Penhall School and Tetnall Wood School, we are proposing to refurbish the beautiful Penhall Mansion, a grade two star listed building in Wolverhampton, into an exciting and professional specialist vocational college for young people aged 14 to 19 with special educational needs and disabilities. Changing the face of employability for young people with SEND, the college will offer specialist career pathways and in-house vocational learning experiences for students that will be open to the public. Students will be able to develop their skills, knowledge and flourish in confidence across a wide range of audiences. We need to raise £400,000 to refurbish the mansion and provide accessible and stimulating learning and working spaces for students and the community. We are relying on public donations, business relationships and support, no matter how big or small, to make this college a reality for our students. Donate today. Go to www.sedgwick.aatrust.co.uk Sedgwick College. Discover bright futures. Doing our research, we kept finding brilliant stories about you. Is it true that when you signed... Akubu, you had to go to his wedding and then you had a bet with him that he wouldn't score 20 goals in a season. Yeah, yeah, I, I, I had to bet he wouldn't get 20 goals. And um, he, uh, I didn't realise the last game of the season we won and he came in the dressing room and he was really, you know, really upset. And I said, what's the matter, Yak? You, you, come on, we won, you scored. Yeah, he said, but I should have got another goal. I said, why? He said, because I, I promised him £20,000. 
if he got 20 league goals. He said, well, I've got 19 goals. I, I said, oh, I didn't realise that. I said, if I'd have known that, I'd have subbed you straight away. But, um, yeah. yeah. I'd have subbed, he wouldn't have, I'd have made sure he didn't get his 20. That's for sure. It was going to cost me £20,000. And when I made the bet with him, it wasn't a bet. I just said I would, he didn't have to pay me anything. I just said I would give him £20,000. Uh, I didn't think there was any way he was going to get anywhere near 20. It was his first season in the Premier. I thought if he gets 10 goals, he's done fantastic. But he got 19 and there was about 40 minutes to go in the game when he, he was on 19 goals. He could have easily got the 20 and it would have cost me £20,000, which I wasn't looking forward to playing. But by the way, did you go to his wedding? Yeah, that's a long story. Yeah, yeah, it's another story. I think I better not tell that and I could get in trouble. <laughs> oh, no. Um, but, uh, yeah, I still, yeah, Yak's a great lad. He's, he's yeah, he's, he, he's, he's uh, yeah, I think we'll forget that one today. <laughs> Can you tell us about Paul Morrison, Morrison's trip to... Barbodus. Bar- Barbodus, when you yes. were Portsmouth's manager, please. Yeah, I was at Portsmouth and Merson came to see me and said he, he, he'd had some problems. He had some, he'd been drinking a lot, he said, and gambling. Uh, and could he go to Tony Adams' clinic in Hertfordshire to get some treatment, see as they've got psychologists and that there, you know? So I said, yeah, no problem. He said, well, we haven't got a game for two weeks after next week because we were knocked out the cup and the team we're supposed to be playing was still in the cup. So I said, yeah, no problem, Merce. He said, if I go away for 10 days, you know, they they still sort my problems out. We were top of the league trying to get promoted. He said, so when I come back, I'll be ready for the city, you know, to, to push on for the rest of the season. I said, yeah, no problem, Merce. You go off to Tony's clinic and, you know, 10 days. And anyway, off he goes. I get a phone call in the, after about four days of him being away, supposedly being away, from a friend of mine in Barbados. He said, I've just seen one of your players, Harry, on the, in Barbados. You know, I said, one of my players? He said, yeah, Paul Merson. I said, no, it can't be. He's at the Tony Adams Clinic in Hertfordshire. He said, he's not. He's on the beach in Barbados. He told me he was going to Tony Adams Clinic for treatment and he was in Barbados having a 10-day holiday with his wife and kids. So, but, you know, I, I, I could have easily sacked him or felt, but the only chance I had of getting promotion was with Merson because he was the best player in the league. He was fantastic for me. And I loved him anyway. So uh, he came back the following week and it, spoke, it was January, freezing cold. Um, and he came up to me on the training ground. He said, oh, I, oh, thanks for that, Harry. I feel a lot better. He had the best suntan I've ever seen. It was and it was snowing. It was freezing, and he'd been obviously supposed to have been in in London having treatment at Tony's clinic, and he'd been in Barbados sitting on the beach all day. So yeah. I, I, st- I still can't believe how he didn't just go for it. <laughs> he just ended up just doing the opposite. That's bad of him. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, but um, and we got promoted, and he was my main man. You know, he, he got us promoted. Did you ever bust him for it? You know, for fun. Oh no, I didn't. I was, I was gonna. No, I just left it. I thought, oh, listen, he's he's a great. I loved him anyway. He's a great, and he was my best player. And he was, 
you know, and it done him good actually because on the Saturday when he came back, he scored. We won two 0 and he scored both the goals. So it probably done him more good having a week in ten days in Barbados than going to Tony Adams' clinic. Um, you then became Tottenham manager in two thousand eight. How did that move come about, and did you enjoy it? Yeah, I got offered the job. You know, I was at Portsmouth doing very well, and Tottenham had sacked their manager. So they rang me up and said, would I go there and take over? And I said, yeah. It was a difficult one leaving Portsmouth because I loved my time at Portsmouth. But we had a new chairman come in. He was Russian, uh, Guy Demac. I didn't know him that well. I didn't really have a big relationship with him and I wasn't sure how the future was going to go with him. And Tottenham came in and offered me the job and I took it. Um, and they paid compensation to Portsmouth for me. They paid £5 million compensation. So I think the chairman of Portsmouth was quite happy to get his £5 million for me, which was a record at that time. And um, so, yeah, I went off to Tottenham. had a great time there. Great players, great club. Very, very enjoyable time for me. Um, you also have a story about meeting a member of the royal family at the gym. Yeah, I went. To, yeah, I did. I had a bad knee, so I went to see a physio in London, and um, I get to his uh, to to his um, his clinic, and I walk in and check in with the lady at the reception, and it was a big long waiting room area. There was no one there, just me. And there was two guys up the other end stretching, doing one of them stretching the other one's hamstrings, and they he had baseball hats on. And I'm reading the newspaper. I'm sitting reading Evening Standard. And suddenly one of the guys uh, stood up. He's about 20 yards along the hallway. He said to me, hi, Harry. So I looked at him. I went, all right, mate. Carried on reading the newspaper. And I'm reading them. And I thought, I know him from somewhere. <laughs> I know. Looking again. I'm looking at him. on the. He's, I thought, did he used to play for me or was... Was he a youth player I had, or was he a young player? Or did he... I thought, I don't know his face, I can't place him. And it came to me, so I went up to the lady at reception, I said, excuse me, is that who I think it is? She said, yes, it is, yes. It was Prince Harry. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and I felt terrible, because I'm reading the paper, and when he said hello, Harry, to me, I, I, went, I just went, all right, mate. And carried on reading the newspaper. Oh, <laughs> no! That's a big mistake. How am I going to get out of this one? So I went walking up to him and I said, excuse me. I said, um, Harry, I said, uh, how are you? I haven't seen you for a long time, you know? He said, no. I said, last time I saw you, you and William came to watch West Ham Arsenal. Yes, he said, I remember that game. He said, that, uh, we were supporting Arsenal that does. Oh, we... Anyway, we had a laugh and, we got, you know, but I didn't recognise, I really didn't realise who it was at first. Harry, is it true that you once ran your wife over with your car? Oh, yeah, yeah, don't go there, yeah, that was, yeah, that was my worst day of my life, yeah, for sure. Yeah, I thought Sandra had crossed the road, she went behind my car and I, I thought I saw, she'd just run into a shop across the road in a one-way street and there was a bus coming, and so she, she backed up and she didn't cross the road, but I thought she had. And she moved along the back of my car and stood by the, against my back door. And I, I didn't look. I thought, she, and there was a, 
in front of me, there was about a 10-yard space. I was taking two parking spaces. So I thought, oh, I'll pull forward a little bit so somebody else can get another car in here, you know. And I pulled forward. And I didn't realise Sandra stood up, because it was very narrow, this road. She was squashed up and it stood up against the back door. And as I pulled away, my tyre ran right across her ankle. It was a, it was a nightmare. She fell into the road and, well, yeah, it was a pretty horrendous day. Made a real mess of her, of her foot. You know, at first I thought she'd lost her foot. It was that bad. So um, it taught me to be more careful in future, for sure. When you're driving, you just can't switch off for one second. You know. Um, can you tell us a story about signing Canu and how did Tony Adams help you with it? Well, Tony had uh, yeah. I was looking for a striker, and Canu had been released by West Brom. Because they got relegated, and uh, I needed a striker for the first game of the season. Blackburn Rovers at home, so I was looking in the old in the book Rothman's book where it has all the list of all the players, every club, and I'm thinking, son, I said to Tony, what about Canu? And Tony played with he knew Canu from Arsenal. He said, Harry, he's 47. I said, no, he's not 47. He said, Harry, he's finished. He's old. He's had it, you know. Anyway, I kept looking, couldn't find anybody, and eventually I decided to bring Canu up. And I rang him, I said, Canu, listen, are you going to play this year? He said, yeah, I want to play, Gaffrey. So I haven't got a club. I said, well, come down here tomorrow. I said, and uh, are you fit? He said, yeah, I went for a run over the park last week. I said, that'll do. <laughs> and I said, come down tomorrow. Come down tomorrow and I'll uh, and we get a medical done and, I'll, and I need to sign you, I need you get you in the squad for Saturday. Yeah, great. So he came down next day, he ready to sign, and Tony was still saying to me, Harry, he's too old, he's finished. And we had a reserve game that afternoon, so I thought I'd put him in the reserve game, have a look at him, make sure that he's not finished and see how he looked. Anyway, he played in the reserve game, scored two goals, and he was fantastic. I signed him. He played on the Saturday against Blackburn. He scored two goals and missed a penalty for a hat-trick. We won 3-0. Then we went to Middlesbrough just for the next game on the Monday or Tuesday night at Middlesbrough and he scored another two goals. So he got four goals in his first two games and he was still playing for Portsmouth about six years later, which by Tony's reckoning, Tony Adams made him 53. But, uh, and he was fantastic. He was a great player and a great guy. You then Messi manage Jordan. Jordan. Why did you do that and what was it like? It was interesting. I got a phone call from Prince Ali, who is a, a prince, in, prince of the brother of the King of Jordan. And uh, he asked me to, to go over and manage the team for two games. So I went over and it was fantastic. You know, the, none of the players spoke English, so it was very difficult. But... I, yeah, we won the first game. We beat Bangladesh 9-0. And so that was a great start. And then we went to Australia to play and we got beaten in Australia. They were very good. But no, it was a great experience. I met lots of lovely people. And Prince Ali was a lovely man. Uh, and I, yeah, it was a good it was good fun. It was only a couple of weeks uh, for a month, but four weeks. But it was it was a great four weeks for me. Really enjoyed it. The Henshaws Insurance Group is one of the top 100 independent insurance brokers 
in the country and is here to bring you peace and mind. We've been in business for over 50 years and have offices in Newport, Shrewsbury and Stafford. Our 45 plus strong team deals with both business and personal insurance and we offer a free, no obligation, consultations and quotations. So give us a call today. You won I'm a Celebrity, Get Me Out of Here a few years ago. What was the experience like for you on the show? It was an amazing experience, I'm a Celebrity. I'd never seen the program. And my wife said to me, you, won't get, you don't get any food. Harry, you, you're crazy. You don't know what you're doing. Do it. I'd never seen it. She, I said, oh, of course you'll get food. I said, there'll be a caravan out the, out the back and you'd all go off the set and, it, you know, you have a bacon sandwich, cup of tea, chocolate biscuit, and then you'll come back again and make out you're hungry, you know. I said, it's only a silly TV programme. But Sandra was right. There was no food. We really did. I went four days without eating anything. So it was a bit of a slog, really. Uh, and it was it was quite tough. The facilities and everything in there were, you know, you really, it is a rough, rough sort of uh, existence in there for a, for a few weeks. So, but no, it was a great, but it was a great experience. I really enjoyed it. But um, as I said, I'd never seen the show, so I really didn't know what to expect. And I, it wasn't what I expected, that's for sure. Before we finish, we would like to play a game with you. I am going to say a played okay. a player that you have managed and I want you to describe them or tell us a short story about that player. Are you ready? No problem. Peter Crouch. Oh, Crouchy was great. I, when I signed Crouchy from QPR for a million pounds when he was 19, Milan Mandrick, the chairman, said to me, you think I'm paying a million pounds for a basketball player? He said, he's the worst footballer I've ever seen. Anyway, we signed him. He let me sign him in the end. And we signed him. And uh, the following year, we sold him to Aston Villa for £5 million. And Milan, the chairman, said to me, Harry, I always said he was a good player. Grouchy was great. Loved him. Peter Shilton. Peter Shilton. I, uh, yeah, I managed Shilton only for a little while. He was a one of the world's greatest goalkeepers, you know, and he came to uh, to West Ham for a short spell and played for me there. Um, he only came, uh, I just wanted him around to uh, to help the, the other goalkeepers, you know, just his experience and his knowledge. And, you know, he'd been, he'd been a well, such a great goalkeeper. He was, uh, I just wanted to get him around the club really. And he was fantastic. Um, Steve Potts. Stevie Potts, well, he was a very quiet guy, Stevie. You know, he was the captain at, um, at West Ham. We made him captain. He was captain when I took over. Uh, but great lad. Lovely, lovely person. Family man. His boy now, his boy's a player now. His boy plays. His son. But Potts, he was a good lad and a good player. Always reliable. Never a minute's problem. Um, Hayden Fox. Well, Hayden Fox was uh, was an Australian boy that uh, I couldn't get a work permit for him. Um, we tried to get him in the country. I, I went and watched him play for Australia. I went to Dubai to watch him, actually. And I liked him and tried to sign him, but we couldn't get a work permit. And the lady in charge of the, uh, whatever, or the immigration at that time in this country, in charge of the work permits and 
she was a, a minister later um, a minister in the House of Parliament. She anyway, we go so I go to an appeal and I go to see her and she was a big, big Arsenal fan. So I said to her, I said, look, what's gonna happen here? This boy Matt, and Arsenal hated Man United at that time. There was a big rivalry between the two of them. And I said, Arsenal going to sign him, put him in Belgium, which you could do for a, a year or two, and then they get a work permit. They can bring him into England then. I said, so Man United are going to sign him if we don't get a work permit. She said, oh, we can't have that. She said, we got Man United getting him. She said, and she ended up giving, me, giving us the work permit. So uh, I think it was quite a clever move. Um, Gareth Bale. Oh, Gareth Bale was just an incredible player, you know. And uh, when I went to Tottenham, he was a left back. I moved him forward to become a left winger, and he was just unbelievable. Such an athlete, could run all day, cross it, head it, shoot, dribble, everything. Yeah, he, look at the career he's had. You know, he went to Real Madrid, he's won Champions League after Champions League. Uh, he was a fantastic player, fantastic footballer. Uh, Joey Barton. Joey was Joey was a good player. Played at Man City. I didn't. He was a very forceful character, a very strong character. Uh, and I played him at QPR. I did a great job for him. He got promoted, and Joey was very important in getting us promoted. He's now managing at Bristol Rovers and doing a great job. He got them promoted last year. Uh, out of Division Four, uh, Division Two, into Division One, and uh, yeah, Joe is doing very well in management there. So I hope he's on the road to a long managerial career. Um, Adele Tarab Tarab is that Adele Tarab. Well, he was a genius of a footballer. He had so much skill; it was amazing. But he did like training. He didn't like running without the ball. He only wanted to train when the football came out. When you did pre-season and you had to do some running and put the hard work in, he would always not be. He'd always have an injury. As soon as the football's come out, he'd come out and play. But he, he had unbelievable. He'd be one of the most skillful players I'd ever worked with. He was an amazing talent. And he's now playing at Benfica in Portugal. Jamie Redknapp. Jamie, well, I saw, Jamie was as a schoolboy. He, he could have gone to any club in England, and he, I took got him, brought him to Bournemouth because he wanted to play league football rather than going to Tottenham or anywhere. And, and you know, and then I sold him to Liverpool. And he went to Liverpool. Kenny Dalglish signed him, and he went to Liverpool and captain Liverpool. But he, he he picked up a knee injury. He had nine operations on his knee in the end, and it really hampered his career. But Jamie was Jamie was a good player. Did you ever see a player at the regret regret it? Did you ever sign a player that you regretted signing? Oh, loads, loads. Always you had players, and when you signed them, they weren't as good as you hoped they were. I signed a player called Marco Bugas. He only stayed from Holland for seven seven hundred thousand pound. He came in. And then he disappeared and went off and lived in a caravan somewhere and we couldn't find him. I don't know what happened to him. <laughs> so, yeah, there was that at West Ham. So, yeah, there's always one or two that you have and you think, oh, I wish I hadn't bought him. It, but every manager raised that. Every manager. Alex Ferguson, he signed players that didn't work out. Man United, they don't all work out. Sometimes you win, sometimes you lose. It's all a gamble, you know. That's why I like taking people that I've managed before 
who I know are good players and good characters and good lads. That's why I took Peter Crouch an awful lot. Jermaine Defoe I took with me. Nico Cranchard I took quite a bit because I knew they were good players, not, not a problem, wanted to train hard, work hard. So you can never go wrong when you, when you have people like that. What about the opposite then, Harry? Have you ever signed a player that you were not sure about or you, you weren't convinced on and then turned out to be an uh, outstanding player? Well, I would think probably Paolo Di Canio. I knew he was a great player, but I was taking a big gamble because he pushed a referee over, Mr Alcock, and he got just, he got banned for months. And everybody said I was crazy signing Di Canio. Headlines in the newspaper one Sunday were Redknapp walks tightrope with no safety net under him. The Canio will get in the sack. Uh, but I took the gamble. I took a gamble and he just turned out to be fantastic. He was an amazing footballer. Every week on the podcast, we like our guests to ask questions to each other. So we get a guest to ask a question, but they have no idea who the question is going to be for. This week's question comes from our previous guest, former Liverpool and Leeds player, Don Matteo, who asks, if you could be invisible for a day, who would you spy on and what would you do? <laughs> oh, my God. <clears throat> who would I spy on? Oh, dear, that is so difficult. Um, if I was invisible for a day. Oh, dear. Well, if I was a football manager, maybe I'd have gone and watched another football manager, a great manager. Um, but now, it, it, that's a difficult question. Who would I, who would I, if I was invisible? Probably the most powerful man in the world. Probably I'd go and spy on the President of the United States and see what he does. Or go and spy on President Putin and see, see what he's making him tick. Why he's doing such crazy things at the moment? Yeah. Could could you do the same thing? Thing, please. Can you think of a question for our next guest, please? But we aren't going to tell you who the guest is. Okay. Anything you want? Okay. If you won the lottery and won millions and millions of pounds, what would you do with it? Okay. Um, I would just like to say a big thank you again to everyone who listens to our podcast. We really appreciate it. Please continue to to leave reviews and pass our podcast on to your friends and family. Thank you so much for everyone taking the time to chat with us uh, today, Harry. We really enjoyed speaking with you and it means so much to us as a school to be able to have the opportunity to speak with you. Thank you. I enjoy speaking to you and keep going, guys. Keep working and every every success in the future to you and uh, that amazing school that you're at. Cheers, Harry. Take care, Harry. Bye. Well done. Well done, everybody. You're all amazing. Well done. So, guys, what did you think about today's episode, so, talking to Harry Redknapp? I think that was good. It was funny. I mean, my favourite part was I was telling her about the whole car incident. Yeah. <laughs> about when that happened, I was like, okay. Um, I also enjoyed not only um, about the, the club and everything, and also um, I'm a celeb, but I'm also 
we have hope to also get um, Jamie, his son, on the podcast. So fingers crossed that that's going to happen because of the yeah. contacts. My favourite bit was the bit when, <laughs> you know, the bit with his his um his own player kicking it. <laughs> yeah, that, that was that was funny as busted. well. Busted. That was definitely that busted moment. You said bust it like nine times. Yeah, even during the episode as well. <laughs> do it, do it. Um, guys, everyone who's watching, make sure to follow us on YouTube, Spotify, Facebook, Instagram, um, Twitter, TikTok, etc. We really appreciate it. And yeah, see you guys next time. Bye. Later. ta The TWS Sports Podcast combines autism and sport. This unique podcast is hosted by children with autism, and each week they interview famous sportsmen and women from around the world. The TWS Sports Podcast takes you deep into the sports star's career, their highs and lows, what happens away from the field of play, and so much more. This podcast is available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and all other podcast apps. The TWS Sports Podcast, where autism and sports combine. Sports Social Podcast Network.